So, um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Um, so, in, in studying this book of Romans, um, a lot of it has to do with what obviously it's it's the idea of salvation by grace alone and the rejection of Israel so a lot of times when Paul is making reference of Israel by God we're going to see tonight that sometimes there's a general term Israel is fallen or Israel is lost or Israel is cast out or Israel will be rekindled. Re um, but it's still, salvation is an individual choice. It is an individual. Uh, there are Gentiles who are saved and Gentiles who are not saved, Jews who are saved and Jews who are not saved. In the general term, we are living in what's called the times of the Gentiles, in which there is a general overall blindness of the truth to the Jews and an opening of the truth to the Gentiles. We, we saw the beginning of this today as Paul ends up in Macedonia. Uh, and so uh, chapter 10, we talked about the need to take the gospel, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And 1013, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So then... Verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, starts with, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. And his people is making reference to Israel. God's chosen people, or God's created people, really. When he came to Abraham and said, get out of your country, go to a place I'm going to tell you. And that began, the, he was the father of the Hebrew Nation And God had a specific purpose for the Hebrew nation. And what was that purpose? Jesus Christ, to bring Christ. However, when Christ came, the Jews were so in love with their laws and Moses that they couldn't shake it. They couldn't shake their, their desire to, to be saved by works. And so they rejected Christ. He also wasn't what they pictured and they had in their mind as what the king was going to be and what he was going to look like. So God, verse 1, chapter 11, has given them a, we're going to look at this, this term uh, of, in verse um, 8. It says, God has given them a spirit of stupor. And we'll get to that and we'll talk about it. But there's real hope here because Paul says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. In other words, the, the end of Israel's relationship with God is not permanent. It's not a permanent. It's just the time we live in right now is the, called the times of the Gentiles. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul uses his own testimony as proof 
that God can save anybody. It doesn't matter. There's neither Jew, there's neither Greek, there's neither male, neither female, rich nor poor. Everyone who comes to the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he says, so I'm a perfect example that, that God has not cast away permanently all Israelites. He says, verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I reserve for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee, bowed the knee to Baal. So this is a really beautiful illustration that, that Paul uses. He says, you don't want to make the same mistake as Elijah. Well, what was Elijah's mistake? If you remember, we just went through this probably a few months ago when we were going through Samuel. And he had defeated these prophets of Baal by calling down fire. And then in the next chapter, Jezebel puts uh, basically a hit on him. He wants him dead. So what does Elijah do? He runs to the wilderness God comforts him with raven and, and, and encourages him. And then we learn what Elijah's problem was. He felt alone. He felt like God had abandoned Israel. And God said to him that there are 7,000 men just like you. And so here's what this, these verses do for us. There are people in our lives that I know you pray for. For their salvation. Liz and I uh, were praying. She has a sister Margie. A brother Cliff. A brother Tom. My brother Tim. His uh, roommate. Or his boyfriend Chuck. And other uh, children. That, that we specifically have. That we pray for salvation. And we've been praying for those salvations. For decades. Um. It appears as if it's, you know, the, how God would bring my brother to a saving knowledge of Christ. I just can't even fathom it. I can't even fathom what God would have to do in that man's heart and mind to find Christ. But I would imagine not very many people saw that in Paul either, do you see? So what these verses are saying is, don't give up hope like Elijah. Yeah, it seems hopeless. These people have been cast away, but they're, they're not completely cast away. For I am an Israelite and I am a Christian, Paul says. And follow the, the pattern of Elijah who felt like God had abandoned and God has not totally abandoned Israel. He didn't do it in Elijah's time and he hasn't done it now. There will be a reconciliation. There will be a restoration. And... There will be many messianic Jews that come to know Christ. So it's not a complete, complete uh, closure to salvation for the Israelites. Anyone who ever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how will they be saved? By grace. Look at verse 5 and 6. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace 
And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace isn't grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So you have these two basic teachings of salvation. Either you work for your salvation, or it's completely given to you as a gracious gift of God. And the word grace is to receive a gift that you don't deserve. Undeserved merit. Well, if you're working to show God you deserve it, you actually eliminate God's opportunity for grace. It's not there. And so in this idea of election, it says, even so, verse 5, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. In other words, even now, even though Israel has rejected Christ altogether, there are still those who are coming to Christ. Individuals. This is a beautiful thing. And this is why in, in, in 2022, I think um, evangelism is, is best done outside the church one-on-one -on -one with friends, family, neighbors. The idea of having a tent meeting and everybody coming in and coming forward. Um, uh, the, the days of, the, um, um, of Spurgeon and those type of things, that revival. Uh, it, just, it just feels like the two-by-two two and going out to preach the gospel uh, seems to be a, a better uh, fit because it's individuals that are coming. Even though it seems like, boy, this world is coming completely away from God, it's the same way. We don't want to become like Elijah and just throw our hands up and say, boy, this... You know how many we're still not. We need more people in the church. We're not getting enough people saved. We're not reaching enough people. What do we got to do to change it? And if you go to the scripture and just stay obedient, stay faithful. This is one thing Davis taught us in Awana and other things that that just stay faithful. One of the verses in scripture is, "What does require of a man? God requires that you remain faithful. Just continue to do the work." And there's a remnant. There, there are those in the Israelites that will, is already, God knows who they are. They're already set apart by God, but they're going to be saved by grace. Those who want to continue with these sacrifices, continue going to the priest, continue going through works, it's not going to work. Uh, a guy named David Guzik, he's a little-known uh, preacher, but I, I, I do like him a lot. And he, he said this about Romans 11. He said, uh, God reminds us what grace is by definition. The free gift of God, not given with an eye to performance or potential in the one receiving grace, but only given, uh, but um, not with an eye on the worker, but with an eye on the one who gives us grace out of the kindness. So the idea is grace is not looking at us but on the one who gives us grace. And that's the definition of grace. It's all Christ. So verse 7, he starts with what then? Okay, so now we set up this chapter that even though we've been talking to you about salvation by grace, salvation by grace, Israel's rejected salvation by grace, Israel's rejected Christ. What then? Verse 7, Israel has not obtained what it seeks. So what is Israel looking for? 
It's looking for salvation through works, through the temple, the sacrifices, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests. They're still looking to man. And because of that, they have not obtained what it seeks. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So we talked this morning about Lydia, how God opened Lydia's heart. And that's what we're doing in this world. We are trying to put ourselves in position to talk to people about where their heart is, where their um, attention is, where their walk with God is. And, and in those conversations, uh, if the door opens, we can share the gospel with them. And if God deems it uh, uh, his, his choice, that we can actually lead them to Christ. So the idea is to keep throwing those seeds out, keep watering. Some water, some sow, and some reap. And we just keep doing the work. The elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, verse 8 is an interesting verse. It's a harsh verse. God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bow down their back always. Now this is um, quotes um, from the Old Testament. We see these verses from David. One is from Isaiah 29. One is from Psalm 69. So let's talk about this idea of stupor. It's a really interesting word. It's hard to get by it. Does this, this old King James say stupor, Larry? In verse, uh, verse 8. Of slumber, um, that's actually a pretty good word for it. Uh, the the actual, if you get into the kind of deep Greek of it, um, it means uh, to have a false sense of rest, a false sense of safety. Um, it's almost, you know, if you think of somebody who's in a stupor, they just kind of are in a daze, and a false sense of Safety is God, they have their religion. They're doing all the things they think they should do. They believe Christ is the heretic. Christ is the blasphemer. Christ is the false teaching. And they think of themselves as no different than the Muslims who have a sense of stupor or Mormons who have a sense of stupor or Jehovah Witnesses who have a sense of stupor. It's anyone who really believes they're really great with God when they're not. And so this sense of Israelites thinking they're okay has a, a, a specific effect on the Gentiles. Turn to Acts 28. Acts 28. We'll get to Acts 28. Um, by the end of summer probably. But I'm going to give you the conclusion of the book of Acts. Paul is now in Rome, and in verse 23, the Jews, he's a prisoner, but they're allowing the Jews in that region to come speak to him. 
And verse 23 says of Acts 28, When they appointed him a day, many came to him in his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, from both the law of Moses and the prophets, from morning till evening. So Paul presents to these Israelites who have not heard of Jesus, they're all the way in Rome, and he presents to them the gospel. Well, verse 24, some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. Well, isn't that how it always is? Some believe and some do not. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet, to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have closed, lest they should hear with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn so that I should heal them. Now, I wasn't joking earlier when talking to Larry about um, the Sunday school lesson today. There are those who just don't seem to have an open mind, heart, or, or, or desire to hear the word of God. Now, God can absolutely change that heart, can't he? But at the time, maybe the, the time to argue and debate is, is not... There's so many verses, and Larry shared them all this morning, on how sometimes it's time just to move on. You know, keep the bridge, you know, of, 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 so there, there's a chance... But look what verse 28 says. Therefore, let it be known that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it, exclamation point. When he said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So at the end of the book of Acts, there is a transition. The Jews have rejected it. It was predicted by Isaiah, predicted in Psalms, that the Jews would be given this time in history when God would just close their ears. Because only God can open the heart, like with Lydia today. And what God did is he then turned to the Gentiles and said, okay, open your ears. You'll get it. You'll understand it. And at the time that Paul closed the book of Acts, I would say... 90% of the Christians were Jewish. 2,000 years later, it's completely the opposite. Because there has been definitely something that God did. And what did God do? He opened the ears of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, as Larry shared this morning, that were considered dogs by the Jews. Rightfully so. So the question is, why did God do this? And let's go back and we'll finish up Romans 11. And we'll learn why he has done it, how long it's going to take place, and what's going to happen when he's done. This is just our time in history. Verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. Boy, that verse was the blessed verse for me this week. It was so great. And it was just a little word study uh, by this uh, fellow Guzik that I like to read. And, and he's a, he, I just love listening to him. Um, 
but he took a little time to make sure we understood there was a great difference between stumbling and falling. That when you fall, you are lost. But the Bible says that when we stumble, what does God do? He picks us up out of the miry clay, puts us on a solid rock. I think there's a verse in Proverbs or Psalms that talks about stumbling multiple times. But I, I think all of us as Christians stumble. Do you ever stumble in your walk with the Lord? But you've never fallen away from Christ. Here you are on a Sunday night with Noah Wana, and you still come at 6.30. Liz and I looked across the street at about 20 after, and I said, well, I guess there's no church tonight. And then, nope, everybody showed up, and it's exactly who I knew would be here. And so, uh, but we still stumble. He says, I say they have stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. This is a very encouraging verse for Israel. The they in this verse is Israel. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So why does God open the gospel to the Gentiles? Because he loves Israel. <laughs> and he wants Israel to see. And this is one thing that, that I've told people for a long time. Um, if they really want to see the evidence of Christ, set your eyes on those who are living for him. Not those who say they're Christians or those who go to church, but those who are living for him. You know, um, they're in this room tonight. You know, you're such a great example to, um, you know, if, if we want to be uh, as blunt as possible, we have, like any church, those who are surrendering all to Christ, those who struggle in their walk, those who are here sometimes and we don't see them for a long time, then they come, then they don't. Those who really live for Christ, there's a difference. There is a love. There is a joy. There is a peace. They stumble, but they get through it. And they get back, and they there's a longevity to it. I've known some of you for 30 years, and there's a consistency in your walk and the blessings that God's given you. Well, that can provoke a person, not in a negative jealousy, but in what kind of a jealousy? Well, I would like that. Man, you seem so calm. You seem so peaceful. The Bible says always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Well, why would people ask you about it? Because they want it. They're jealous in a good way, not in a covetous way. And so by God turning his attention to the Gentiles, we're supposed to be living a life of love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness that would provoke jealousy, especially to the Israelites, who would say, man, it's, we're just not getting anywhere. We're at the wailing wall crying, and they're over here singing praises to the Lord and rejoicing. What are we missing? What are we missing? So that's the purpose. Now, verse 12, this is really good. If their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So I wrote myself a little note. And I titled this sermon, Fall to Fullness. And it's the idea God is saying, when, it, when Israel was cast out, they fell by the wayside, stumbled in their walk with God. It meant 
the gospel being open to the Gentiles. So we surely benefited from their stumbling, didn't we? Well, when they're brought back to fullness, if we were blessed by their stumbling, God says, how much more do you think you're going to be blessed when they're all back in the fold? It's going to be amazing. In fact, it's going to happen when? When Christ returns. And, and he has this, this kingdom on earth. Where? In Israel, in Jerusalem. It's going to be incredible. And it's, this is such an encouraging chapter. It's a chapter that says, look, this is all temporary. Understand what's happening. Verse 13, I speak to you Gentiles, that's us. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. So there's that salvation motivation of Paul again. Uh, we saw that with uh, Timothy in the book of Acts. Now we see it in Romans. It's the same thing. Remember in Romans 9, he says, you know, if I could die and bring my people. So when he talks about my flesh, he is separate from the Israelites now. He's a Christian. He's a born again believer. So he is separate from his old self. But that old self is still a blood relative of the Israelites. And he desires that, that any of them would be provoked to jealousy. And that's what we want. One of the, the, the I remember when Liz and I were um, first married and we were going to homeschool our kids. Man, it just, it just threw my family through the roof. They just couldn't get over it. They just couldn't. They're going to end up zombie, weird, out, unable to be in social. They're just going to. And then our kids became adults and. They actually apologized. My brother did. He said, you know, I, I thought you guys were crazy, but you know what? I've met a lot of young people, and your kids, there's something different about them. They're kind, and they're polite, and uh, that was great. That's what it means to, 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 to provoke to jealousy, that type of thing, and that's what Paul is hoping here. Boy, I hope, I hope better days are coming. Better days are coming. So what does this do for us? It's live for Christ. Show the world, show those lost loved ones what a blessed it is. The problem is, um, we as Christians, we don't have much of a different look from the world. It's supposed to be different. Not in a compatible manner. Remember, we win, you know, what is that thing? You catch more things with honey than vinegar. Is that an old saying? But that idea of evangelism is people wanting to know about the hope that is in you. Somehow, Christianity, I, I was reading through, and nobody goes to this church, a thread on Facebook this afternoon um, from somebody who made a bold, bombastic statement. And it, it, it wasn't drawing very many people. There wasn't much hope in it. There's hope in the verses that you text to people. There's hope in handing out food. There's hope in those shoe boxes. There's hope in the love of Christ not not compromising but there's hope uh, verse 15 we'll go a little quicker um, if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world what will be their acceptance but life from the dead you think it's people are getting saved now because of their falling away 
man, when they come back, remember, in Revelation, there's going to be 144,000 witnesses during the tribulation period. And they are 12,000 from every what? Tribe. So the Jews are going to be right back in the very middle of all of this. And there's going to be tremendous evangelism being done by the Jews. It's coming. For now, we're living in a different time. Look at verse 16. For if the first fruit is holy, that's Israel, the lump is also holy. Where are the lump? And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches were broken off, you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So God uses this example of grafting these branches. So remember, John 15, uh, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And God is the vine dresser. Okay, it says, uh, if you abide in me and I in him, you'll bear much fruit. Without me, you could do nothing. John 15, 6 says this, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them up and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Colossians 2, 6 says we are rooted and built up in him. So he is the vine we are the branches. If you are not connected to Christ, if he is not living in you, when you are not saved, you will be cast out and burned. What's that represent? That's hell. That's a separation from God. Once you're grafted in, you're grafted in. Look at verse 17. If some of the branches are broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in. We know about grafting around here. It's what... Uh, Dolores' brother, they're famous for that, the grafting of, of being able to take different fruits and create a whole new fruit. It's pretty amazing. Verse 18 says, Don't boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you don't support the root. The root supports you. We were rooted in Christ. It's not like... and this, this We have to be careful. This idea of the elect... And God calling us and God opening our heart. Sometimes we can feel as if that 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 process of God drawing us, that that we are somehow special because He drew us, and we get prideful. But remember, it's not of works lest any man should boast. And we cannot. He's warning the Gentiles. Look at because of the fall of Israel, the gospels came to you, but don't boast against them like you're better than them. This has nothing to do with you. It's all Christ. Christ did every bit of it. Just uh, praise God for it. Rejoice in them. Verse 19 says, You will say then, Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. But don't be haughty, but fear. And that's the hard thing. Lest any man should boast, don't be haughty. It's completely the work of God. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. So if you think you earned your way to heaven, which is really an interesting thing. In our early walk of, of my Christian walk, Liz and I were in a fundamental Baptist church. While they were very strong in the word, 
sermons were very great, there was a lot of works-based preaching, a lot of, of legalism, and it kind of kept you under a little bit of bondage. It also produced, surprisingly, pride. We are better than the other churches because we dress this way. We're better than you because we do this. Well, we would never go to dances and we would never drink alcohol. And so what are they doing? They're just simply bringing works into the whole matter. That I am privileged and we are a better church than all of the others because of our works. And God warns her, don't, don't think that he rejected the Jews and opened the eyes of the Gentiles because you were special. No, Larry pointed that out this morning. The term dogs is is appropriate term for every human being. Therefore, no problem. Consider, I love verse 22. Consider the goodness and severity of God. Some of the biggest debates that I'm seeing, one of the, 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 the thread I read today, it was all on, somebody made a, a bold brass statement against uh, homosexuals and LGBT. Uh, while what they said was true, it just turned into a mess. The whole thing became a mess. Uh, and, you know, and the debate basically was, well, God is loving and he would want everyone to just live their life and be happy. No, God hates sin and God is a judge. And, and what does this first tell us about those two opinions? There is a goodness of God and a severity of God. It's a pretty interesting way to look at it, isn't it? The severity of God by cutting off Israel because they rejected him turned into the goodness of God by opening the gospel to the Gentiles. But we cannot take credit for it as men. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity in God. On those who fell, that's not stumbled, severity. But towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you'll be cut off. In other words, if you are trying to get to God other than Christ and it's all religion to you, then you're not grafted in. You're only grafted in through Christ. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. So he brings up a very good point. Even though we live in a time, gospel to the Gentiles, Jews are living in this stupor. However, if I as a Gentile reject Christ and my Jewish neighbor accepts Christ, then I'm the one not grafted in, do you see? And he, being a, a Jew, is grafted in through Christ. It's all Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's one mediator between man and God. So Paul is explaining very specifically that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So don't boast. Boast in Christ. It's all him. Verse 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. So this is the, the, the idea of the fullness of the Gentiles. There's going to come a time when what is, the Bible makes reference to the times of the Gentiles. And it's just basically the time in history when 
Israel's eyes are closed by God. Gentiles' eyes are opened. But when Jesus Christ returns, it's going to be completely different. Everything's going to change. So don't get too haughty. There's going to change. Verse 26 says, So all Israel will be saved. Now, obviously, not every Israelite's going to be saved, but this is another general term. They're going to be brought back in. And he quotes another Old Testament verse and says, The deliverer will come out of Zion, Jesus. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Isaiah 27. And so there's going to come a time where God will work again with Israel. Verse 28 says, Concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. Oh, not good. Can't take it away. And God has made some promises to David. He made some promises to Abraham. He made some promises to Noah. They're called the Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Noahic covenant. All those covenants are still in play that include the return of Christ and his eternal glory on the throne. And even though we're not Jewish, by the, because of the, the, the stumbling of Israel, we get to be part of all of those promises. It's incredible. Verse 30, For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown to you, they may obtain mercy. So when this is all over, this relationship with Christ that we have will be something that the Jews will want. They will once again be provoked to jealousy at the return of Christ, and they'll see finally how they had been blinded, and they'll turn to him. Oh, verse 33, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So you might look at this chapter and say, boy, uh, John, this is a complicated chapter. It is, unless, unless you go through the whole book like we've been going through. It's just a simple explanation to keep the, the Gentiles from looking at those first 10 chapters of Romans and getting puffed up with their place with God. That the Jews, that's right, we're, he, God loves us. We're grounded. He says, no, don't take and boast about it. And, and if you will stay humble, God loves humility. Give God the glory. Look what it says at the end of this. It says, verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. I like that verse a lot. Many, many, many times I have said this wrongly, inappropriately, sinfully. I have said to God, why? Why is this happening? All I've done, and this is happening, God, I've, just, I've, I've tried this hard, and this, Lord, I pray every day, and it's still... Look what this says. Who has first given to him? 
that he shall be repaid to him. In other words, the him, the first him is capitalized, right? So the question is really this. Who has been so awesome that God owes them? And what's the answer to that question? Nobody. If God owed you salvation, it wouldn't be grace. So he's, he's really talking about the idea of not being puffed up by this amazing relationship. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Ephesians 1.3, our last verse I'll read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted and beloved. It sounds like in those verses, like all the credit should go to Jesus. It sounds like he did everything. Which is why 1 Corinthians 10 says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And what happens is we start getting a little puffed up, and, and you know, I'm, um, I've been a lot of people who, who are really staunch, reformed in, in their. But they, they, they cross a line a little bit to the fact that they feel like they were chosen because they are special. The election is true. Uh, the sovereignty of God is all true. But we're still wretched. We're still undeserved of it. God owes us nothing. So every breath we take is, some, is, is grace. Every breath we take is grace. So stay humble. Understand the time we live in. And remember that there's always that opportunity. We don't want to end up like Elijah where we just throw our hands in the air and say, you know what, we're living in the last days and now just there's no one's ever going to get saved and I'm just giving up. I prayed for my cousin for uh, five years now. I'm just never going to happen. And God says, you don't know what's coming. Don't be like Elijah. I can open that heart and mind anytime I want. So that's our new prayer. That's the, for, for me personally. And praying, I pray, you know, pray for my brother to be saved. Now I'm praying for God to open up that 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 heart that's so hard, that heart that's so hard. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the hope, the encouragement in this chapter. It's a complicated one, but Lord, it, it does perfectly explain from the very lips of Paul exactly the time in history we're living, the time in which. By the, the fall of, and stumbling, Lord, not fall, but the stumbling of the Israelites, Lord, we live in, in the time of the Gentiles. And Lord, until you come back, uh, we just want to reach as many people for you as possible. They're out there, the ones whose hearts will be opened, the ones whose lives will be changed. God, lead us to them, direct us to them, help us to, to seek them out, Lord. In Jesus' name we find, we ask, amen.